It had been a while since I had stared up at that looming guard tower from the comfort of my pickup truck or walked through those concrete hallways past the bright murals, heavy doors, and metal gates. My mom had just died of cancer. She was 54 years old, and it was 2018. She died in this rented medical bed inside of my childhood home while I cooed away to a George Strait song, poorly, I might add, and held her hand, terrified to let go. Losing my mom in my 20s was weird. It, it still is. I didn't need her to bring me to soccer practice or make my doctor's appointments anymore. I needed her to meet the person that I would eventually become. And in my mid-20s, I wasn't really sure who she was. And I thought about all of this as she gasped for one final breath. I struggled to cope, as most people do. I mean, I did get like pretty good at Muay Thai, but I also smoked cigarettes, drank too much whiskey, and I buried myself in my work. Which is why on this day, I was in Alaska Max at Spring Creek Correctional Center. At the time, I was working as the public information officer for the Department of Corrections. We were working on some of the most inspiring work of my career. We were tackling criminal justice and prison reform, the opioid epidemic. And I was working with these brilliant minds and brilliant leaders outside and inside the walls of our prison system. So that's how I ended up away from home in Seward, meeting with men part of the restorative justice group. Restorative justice to me is a very interesting concept. It's made up of a bunch of guys serving some pretty lengthy sentences. I'm sure a few of their names would sound uncomfortably familiar to many of you. But the idea behind this group is that they can create change while doing their time, that they can help fix the system from the inside out and maybe make the communities that they had left a little bit better than how they left them. In my effort to educate the public on mass incarceration, criminal justice reform, reentry, public safety, you name it, I really needed their voice. When we talk about those things in our public dialogue, in the media, we talk about numbers, statistics, property crime. And those things are important. But what we fail to listen to is the people with the lived experience. Because only they know the road they took that got them addicted to heroin, the moment that they decided to take a life, change lives, or give up their own freedom. Their voice has power. And they trusted me. They got what I was trying to do, which was just to show the world that good and bad is not black and white. And that even in prison, people are people. So I walked across that gymnasium into the education hallway, and there they sat in that little concrete classroom around these folding tables, smiling, really happy to see me. Megan, where have you been? How have you been? Those were really loaded questions. But it was so interesting. When I took the job, 
I saw them for the crimes I knew they committed. Eventually that changed though. I saw them as people. And a few of them, I guess, turned into my friends. You're not really supposed to say that, but it's honest, so I answered them honestly. My mom just died. She had cancer. It was really touch and go. I'm doing okay, I guess, but I'm really sorry I missed meetings. Suddenly those smiles that had greeted me when I walked in that classroom were gone. They were so sad for me. And they didn't pry, but I just kept talking like I tend to do. What a fucked up way to go. It took everything from her. Suddenly, those, those men provided me something that nobody else really had. They didn't bring me casseroles or tell me stories about my mom or say it was all going to be okay because I wasn't. And I was so sick of hearing that it was. She wasn't coming back. They understood my pain. They know how long forever is. And they understand that feeling of hopelessness, that gnawing feeling that just kind of tears you apart. And how scary that feeling is because maybe that feeling is going to last forever. I left the state in January after the administration changed. I watched some really amazing people lose their jobs for reasons that I still don't understand. And I couldn't quite get on board with the new old school way of doing business, so I respectfully said my goodbyes. But before I did, I wrote these guys a letter, a few of them at least. I told them where I was going and why I was leaving, that I was sorry, but I had to. And also that I was proud of them. We had just published a podcast. I don't know who in here has made a podcast, but it is a lot more work than what it looks like. <laughs> and none of us knew how when we started, but we worked really hard and we figured it out and we made something meaningful. And I wanted them to be just as proud as I was, because pride is a lot for a person. A few months after I left, I wrote them again. Anthony was pretty quick to respond. Hello, friend. I hope you've been well. Thanks for writing. It's pretty much how he starts all of his letters. He continued, you made a very beautiful elderly lady very, very happy. And you made her cry. My mom listened to the podcast. His mom? I had never considered that Anthony was a guy with a mom that somebody's son. But in that moment, I realized that him and I shared something so much greater than a podcast or any of the work that we did while he was in prison. We shared a deep love for our mothers, beautiful women that neither one of us will ever get to hold again. In my last conversation with my mom, we talked about my work. She told me that she was proud of me and to keep making the world a better place. She asked about the Spring Creek Boys, which I don't know where she got that from, but she coined it, and I'm sticking to it. So I told her. And it was amazing because she asked about them just as easily as she would have asked about Daryl or Helen, my really good friends. So I told her. And she said she was proud of them, too. I never wrote that in a letter, but I don't know. Maybe I should have. Thank you. <laughs>